You're listening to the Della Darling Podcast. I'm Emily. And I'm Dara. We're taking Dara's love of telling people's stories, Emily's love of attending events, and our mutual love of the first date, and highlighting the best people to meet, places to go, and things to do that Delaware has to offer. Hello, everyone. We're so excited to have you guys joining us for our eighth episode. We can't even believe that we've already been podcasting to you guys for four months. Time has flown by, and I think the time has especially flown by during the summer. Yeah, these summer episodes, they have been going so quickly. We've had some great guests, and we have another one for you guys tonight, in addition to just so many great events and great things to do all summer long. I had a bit of a sacrilegious... Um, thought that I need to confess to today. Um, I was thinking about how a lot of magazines, they'll structure their issues where there'll be like one combined issue. So they're only putting out 11 a year. Like for example, 10 issues. So they say a whole year for $12, but it's not a dollar per issue. Yeah. Then there's like the January, February and like the May, June. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was, I did have this thought where I was like, like, I, I can't keep up with everything. Like, should we do? Should we do? a combined all of July episode. But we're here. We're here. You know, the tough thing about the Della Darling podcast, and Dee, I think you can relate, is that when when part of the podcasting efforts is attending events and making sure you're really taking in all of the news and making sure you know what's going on and you're, you're constantly interacting and networking with people, it's hard to fit in actually recording a podcast. Mm -hmm. And I think that also, shout out to you, you stepped it up this past week because you not only attended an event that you put on social media and intend to talk about in this episode, but you wrote a blog post about it. I did. So most of you know, well, maybe not most of you, some of you may know that the Della Darling brand started as a blog. um, And it's been a very defunct blog where every once in a while I'd write a post. And I think it's been two years or so since our last post. And um, so we did put one out this week, Wilmington Brew Works, Flights of Discovery, sort of a little recap, giving you guys the goods on the beers, the pricing, the owners, and some little tidbits about brewing beer in Delaware and what you can expect from them once they open to the public. And I was really excited for you to tell me that they're doing more than just beer. Yeah, they actually, um, something I learned, and, and again, this we don't want to push the blog post too hard, but some of this stuff is in there. Um, in the state of Delaware, there are actually three different sort of like licenses and approvals that have to happen in order for you to continuously produce both beer and wine or cider, et cetera. So one of the things that's interesting about that is you can get a beer production license, you can get an other alcoholic beverage, which I believe is just the wine and cider license. But in order to go from a production brewery to a production winery, you would then have to, after your brewery production, write a letter to the state and get approved to switch to winery production. Then when you're done, you'd have to get a letter to the state saying you're switching back to brewery production. And so obviously that's a real problem because you don't necessarily know and all of these approvals and stuff can take time. So there's a combined approval, so some third party approval that um, means you can actually switch back and forth between them continuously. And so Wilmington Brew Works has that in addition to an FDA approval. So they will be producing non-alcoholic beverages as well, like some Italian sodas. One of them is a, um, a, a cherry lime and another one is, I believe, like a cherry lime habanero option. That sounds really good. So I think it's going to be fun. And I was told to tell all my friends if you get an Italian soda, it comes in a little souvenir cup, Wilmington Brew Works souvenir cup, and you get to keep the cup. So please keep the cups. So I'm not sure if this is related to anything that you learned there. It might be sort of just related, but in the news within the past week or so was um, the new legislation um, where Delaware lawmakers approved that the, the headline is booze makers can offer wider variety, including wine in breweries. Yeah, so this is a really exciting um, change. So what that means is that just because you are 
in a brewery, they actually can now serve you wine from other, you know, from wineries within the state. And so that's really nice. Obviously, Wilmington Brew Works is producing their own cider, and that's great. But D, I know like Dew Point is right near where you live, very, very close. And I imagine you haven't even thought of attending any events there or just going on a Saturday because I drove by this weekend and I thought it looks really nice there. Maybe I should like find someone and they can drink beer and I'll just like sit there. Right. And so now we'll have the option at a bunch of these places for Dara to actually partake and really enjoy the ambiance and the venue. Well, thank you for updating me on all of my needed brewery news. Um, I love that Della Brew news. (laughs) But then also, I think before we forget, um, speaking of friends and fun things, we should give a shout out to some of our listeners that we've been hearing from. Yeah, we have some great listeners. And so I just want to give a shout out to Aaron M for our five-star review on iTunes. You guys, we are up to eight reviews well eight ratings we have eight five star ratings we love that our average is five stars and everyone has given us five stars you guys are the best and especially to Aaron M who wrote an awesome review for us and we just cannot even begin to tell you how much it means to us that we have a listener who's so dedicated and so understands how important it is um we love that and then we also want to give a shout out to an instagram follower who you know it's interesting because we have a have a connection to this person but we don't really know him well um and that's clay Rowe. so he was a couple years older than us in high school his sister graduated with us but clay has been so active on our insta he likes a lot of our pictures and we we love that, but he also comments, and he he commented about our review of Hope Never Dies, and he he agrees that Jill probably hits up Pizza by Elizabeth he for said her that brunches. He saw her there. He saw her there. So not just that she probably hits it up; she does go to Can PBE. Confirm. I hope that we're not embarrassing about anybody um, by shouting out, but I think that when we started this podcast, we. We hoped, we had some wild dreams that people that we did not know would listen to us. Um, and we do watch to see how many how many views we're getting, how many listens we're getting. But in all honesty, we don't actually know who's listening unless you say something to us. So it's really thrilling to hear from everyone. It is. And also, shout out to my grandmother, Ellen, because she listens every single time and she always lets me know what she thinks of our episodes and last time she got a little shout out so this time she's getting a big shout out but you want to hear about the events so we should tell you what we've been up to and what you can be up to too and we have been up to a lot it is overwhelming since we last talked to you so i went to an event at the queen a gilmore girls trivia night And um, some of you may have seen, the Queen has been doing these trivia nights throughout the summer. They did The Office, Friends, Gilmore Girls, and they're free to attend, but they have you reserve seats in advance so that they sort of know how many people are coming and they make sure they have enough space. And they have been like sold out weeks in advance. So I felt really fortunate that I had signed up in time to have a team at Gilmore Girls. And although we did not win, I think that we had a really a good showing and made a valiant effort. What was the hardest question? Well, there were questions we got wrong, but I don't know that they were the hardest. I think they were just things we didn't necessarily know. I think the hardest one, and much of the audience probably did not get this right, um, you had to name the six children born throughout the Gilmore Girls series. Oh my God. And, and a lot of people got a few, right? Mm-hmm. So, so there were some that were obvious. You know, Obviously, Suki had two children, Davy and Martha. I don't know their. I didn't know their names. Well, that's their names. They're the ones everyone knows. Um, Rory's father has a second child, Gigi. Mm -hmm. She's born. Then we have um, Luke's sister, Liz, and her husband, TJ, have a daughter named Dula. And then the last two are the ones where I sort of had the Hail Mary at the last minute and remembered that Lane's children are named Steve and Quan. Oh, my God. And so we got all six points on that question, and I I felt good about that. Good for you. And then we had a few, uh, Sarika, who is a friend of ours from, she works at the News Journal. She she pulled a really good one when we we had a picture round, and you had to name the people in the pictures, and some of them were easy, but one of them was the fourth um, 
member of Logan's friend group. So, of course, there's Logan, oh. Colin, and Finn. And that other guy. The other guy, Robert Grimaldi. Do they call him Grimaldi? So, I, I found this out later. His last name is never specified. Rory makes it up. When she is going on a date with him, she tells her mother. When, when Lorelai says, you, do you even know his last name? And she says, yes, it's Grimaldi. And then we never find out his real last name. But, like, did she say that because she knew it? Or she made it she up? She made it up. Because it, it's a whole... You have to watch the episode, Dara. I don't know. I can't I can. reenact the whole scene. It sounds uh, sketchy. Like, she's not being a good journalist. <laughs> you know... There's some I other think issues. I think that she's very inspiring to a lot of young people who are interested in pursuing journalism, and it helps to really um, create a passion for them and really give them that inspiration. But I don't know that I would say that Rory Gilmore is a very good journalist. I think that there are a number. There, I know. No, I know that there are a number of think pieces because I have read them on this exact topic. Well, right, and I and I think to be honest. You know, at the end of the year in the life, sort of the reboot, it's clear that maybe Rory Gilmore's not that great of a journalist. But anyway, let's talk more about what's happening in Delaware. Yeah, so Dee, tell me, um, you had a Delaware first that I was surprised to find out. I did. I have never been to a Blue Rocks game. Well, now you have Now I have. Um, And I have the certificate to prove it. And by having the certificate, I mean I really have the certificate. I don't really know why I've never been to a Blue Rocks game. I guess it's just one of those things I never did as a kid. In fact, I told my parents that it was the first time that I'd gone, and they refused to believe that this was true. But but uh, neither one of them could admit to having taken you. Show me the pictures. A couple things, to just about my unique experience. Um, I know where the Blue Rock Stadium is. I have been in it for the Delaware Taco Festival. Um, but I was being, like, so stupid and, like, I'm going to my first Blue Rocks game that when I drove over, I just followed the signs for Blue Rock Stadium and I ended up in like the wrong, like not the side of the parking lot that you want to be in. Like just, just park at where you, where you think that you should park at the riverfront. If you, if you are familiar with the riverfront and the Chase Center and the stadium and that general geography, just park where you think you should park. Don't follow the signs. Um, Because then I ended up turning down a row where there was this guy directing traffic and so I followed his hand gestures and then he had to turn me away and told me that I was not a VIP um so I I needed to turn around see he didn't know that VIP includes very important podcaster (laughs) I didn't you know what I forgot to correct him on that one um and then the next next important thing that happened that that really made this unique was that I noticed as we were walking in that all of the Blue Rocks volunteers checking the tickets and stuff it says like I've been a volunteer since and so I didn't know it was everybody I thought it was just the one guy who was checking our tickets like at the very front and his said like volunteer since 1992 or or some like uh um I believe it opened in 96 90 okay it was somewhere in that in that realm it was in the 90s I was like wow like this must be like the top volunteer like he must be really proud (laughs) he has like he's got he's gotten some award and so I thought he would be thrilled to know that it was my first Blue Rocks game so he checked my ticket he welcomed me to the stadium and I said hi thank you this is my first game (laughs) and he said like congratulations and enjoy your night um, and then I decided to just really lean into it because then <laughs> you, we, you were there for a work event and you were nice enough to um, bring me as your plus one. And so we were seated. Um, I don't know. We were in the corporate term. picnic area. The corporate picnic area. Um, so then someone else checked our ticket there. And she also, this is where I caught on that maybe just every volunteer has it, but she also had like volunteer since. And I think hers was maybe only like volunteer since like somewhere in the 2000s. So more recent, even though the 2000s have been going on for some time now. We are, we are in it in the 19th year. Yes. Um, so I told her and then she was like, oh, you should go to the customer service desk. And it was good that I wanted to tell everyone that it was my first Blue Rocks game because then I went to the customer service desk and we were there with our friend Meredith and it was also her first Blue Rocks game. Although, although she just moved here a year ago. She just moved here. So that makes more sense. She hasn't had 27 years. Yeah. Um, and we went to the customer service area and they gave us certificates that were signed by Rocky Blue Winkle and the on-field host. That's what it said. 
I don't know who I that don't is, know who he but is. that's very exciting. And so Dara stuck that right up on the fridge. I'm very proud of it. I think you should be. You know, there. You know, the the great thing about Wilmington and Delaware, I think, is that. There are so many things that you can do year after year, and they still feel new and fresh every year. The Blue Rocks being one of them. For Dara, this was her first experience, um, and that was very exciting. And then there are always new events popping up and new things that can become regular and can become annual things. I was so excited. I actually dragged my dad with me to an event uh, last week, and that was Beetlefest. So six nights long, they basically start with the first album released by the Beatles on night one, and they play everything all the way through through night six, which is 215 songs. The night that we went was night number four, which many touted as the best night because Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band is one of the albums on that night. I felt it was a good bang for our buck because there were three albums, 38 songs, um, definitely a few crowd pleasers. But it was it was a great night. We had some really passionate people. The Delaware Rock Orchestra were just so into it. Joe Trainer organized the whole event as part of the, the Delaware Rock Orchestra. He's their music director. And it was just so impressive to have so many great musicians come together. And the thing I found really impressive, and he said this at one point, that no matter what, he wanted to make sure that he did it right. Um, and what I mean by that is that you know, there are songs with a sitar. Well, he had somebody come in and play the sitar. He had somebody come in and play the harp for the one song that requires a harp. He made sure that if there were four measures of brass in a song, we had the four measures of brass. And it was, it was really so beautiful. And I, you know, there are times where I think that the Beatles maybe are overrated because they have so permeated our culture. And I think everyone is familiar with at least a few Beatles songs and everybody, everybody likes them. I, I, I don't know of anybody who set, thinks like, I hate the Beatles. I hate all of their songs. That just doesn't happen. And so sometimes I feel like they're overrated. And then I go to an event like this where you have all of these people in the crowd who feel so impacted by their music. And I just am there and song after song of of just awesomeness I don't have another word for it just comes through and I am just in awe really in awe of of this group and and again how much they permeated our culture and made an impact you know decades later and and the thing I find really impressive Dee is that they really only recorded and produced for about seven years and so thinking about the impact they've had in just that short of a time span of actually recording is just so impressive to me my Beatles history is not up to snuff for this conversation, but we can we can talk about this from an event standpoint. And something that you mentioned, which I think it's really cool that this was like a week of concerts because that's sort of an unusual setup. Um, but then you were saying when you were telling me about it earlier, um, was that you could see this becoming like a, like maybe there's it's spread out over an event a year series. or it's like it's part of a series yeah so six nights in a row is a little tough like I would love to actually be able to go to all six nights but mm -hmm. I just have too many commitments and, and that's tough but I would love to see um you know a partnership maybe with the queen next summer where every couple of weeks they do a night mm -hmm. and so you can do six six nights but it's maybe over the course of three months over mm -hmm. the course of the whole summer but I would love to see that and then one other thing that I didn't mention is is how many sort of special guests. So every single night they brought in a couple of other people to sing. And the night that I was there was actually so cool. They brought in um, two singers for multiple songs who I really, really enjoyed. One being Jay Street Jr. And he, every time he came out, he just brought the audience alive. And he's involved in... I believe some other Delaware organizations. And so you can definitely check him out. We'll make sure to link um, some information about him. And then the other guest from Thursday night is Darby McLaughlin. Dee, do you recognize that name? I do. I used to be the arts and entertainment reporter in Cecil County, Maryland. And I think it's maybe when you're in the audience every so often, you don't quite realize how dedicated um, your local musicians and performers are, but when you have to see every single show, um, it's kind of cool too, th the way you see people travel from character to character. I was reporting on the Milburn Stone for a period a couple years ago, and she was in a lot of the shows. 
And you start seeing people like that. We're there in a lot of the shows. And it's kind of amazing the commitment that to just, you have to memorize and then come to rehearse. Like rehearsals would go until like 11 or 12 at night and then you do the show. So yeah. So I, I mean, local performers and, you know, usually they're, they're doing it on a, on a volunteer basis or on a contract basis where they're probably spending more money on snack breaks than they're making <laughs> off the show. And so it, you're right. It's just so impressive that people can be so dedicated. And, and I love when we have the opportunity to support them. And I love getting to see them in different settings. Mm -hmm. So I had recognized Darby from a production at Mulburn Stone. I think you should say, you should specify I brought Emily to a production of, and this was a great time. We, we had a lot of fun. We did have a great girls night. We went to see Bring It On the Musical. <laughs> At the Milburn Stone Theater. Yes. And Darby was the lead in that show. And, and honestly, I recognized her immediately when she stepped on stage. So, you know, I, again, sometimes we don't think about community theater as making an impact. But I think that was in 2015. So three years later, mm -hmm. after seeing her in one production, I still had this memory of her and was able to recognize her. So... We're, we're so impressed by Darby's commitment to community theater, to the productions that she still is in. Um, she met Joe Trainer, the organizer, at, I believe he said, the City Theater Company when they were working on a production together. Did they give, did they give a little talk to introduce people? And he did. Joe, Joe gave a little bit of background on people, sort of how he met them, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Um, and again, the, the Darby sort of stuck in my head because I had seen her perform before. And she's now singing with um, an events band out of Philly. So they do things like concerts on the weekends at the beach. I believe they're also doing like weddings and that oh. kind of thing. So it looks like she's having a great time. And we'll be sure to link her Instagram so you guys can follow her journey and sort of see what she's up to. Time is so funny in the summer that I'm not sure if this was last week or the week before. But I got to try out a new restaurant, um, Margot, on Market Street in Wilmington. Um, it opened this summer and I think we might have actually talked about it on the very first podcast when we were doing like a wrap up of restaurants that were coming yes, soon. Yes, eagerly awaiting its opening. Yeah, so it is, I think you could probably call it an upscale, for, like it's not, it's not so upscale that it's inaccessible for happy hour after work, but um, it is like happy hour on market. It's, it's three dollar signs instead of four. Yes. But not down at the two mark. Yeah, I think it's French. I would I would call it French inspired, mm -hmm. um, because there is uh, as opposed to just like strictly French. Because I did see le hamburger on the menu. Well, I'm okay with that. I well, I've also not everyone's into French food, and it, you know it gives everybody a little something. I have been reading this interesting book lately. Um, it's a collection of essays. Um, it's called Buttermilk Graffiti, and the kind of the theory behind it is that um, there's no such thing as authentic food. There's such a thing as traditional food um, because like as soon as you bring your grandmother's sauce over from Tuscany, like there's not a Tuscan cow making the butter and there's not Tuscan right, soil growing right, the vegetables. Right. Um, but that's okay because it's a really exciting opportunity when you know suddenly you're in the U.S. and instead of getting the chili flakes that you usually get, you have to like buy Mexican chili flakes instead. So it's a really exciting book about the merging of cuisines and cultures and a fun little um, trip through different culinary experiences. But anyway, so thinking about that um, on and the Wilmington scene. So I went to Margot, um, and I just went for happy hour after um, I was doing a, a work thing in Wilmington. Um, and so I had a drink. I, before I told you that I had the airport drink because it was the De Gaulle, but I did not have the De Gaulle. And I also know that De Gaulle is more than an airport, but I was trying to make a joke and now I'm still trying to make the joke even though I can't. Anyway, I had the Voltaire. <laughs> okay. Um, which was really delicious. Um, it, was, it was advertised as tequila with a Merlot float. Um, but for those of you afraid of just like a shot of tequila, which I, I didn't want to drink a shot of tequila at like 4 p.m. either. It was like, it was basically a margarita. And then on top they did a float of um, Merlot. So the bartender over the back of a spoon, he slowly poured a little bit of Merlot and it created this cloud. 
It was like a, no, it was like just like a layer. And then, so the two didn't mix, but you got a taste of each. And then the, the sweetness of the lime and tequila mixture, um, like cut back the Merlot and then the Merlot also helped it not feel too sweet and beachy. Well, sounds like an interesting summer drink, um, a little alternative. It was good. I would have it again. I was a little disappointed with what was happening on the inside, but it was a, it was a little slower than I expected it to be. But I've heard a lot of good buzz about it, so you'll have to go and let me know how many people are, are there when you're there. So, Dee, you're talking about this drink in this restaurant made me think of somebody who would love Margot, um, and I think next time he's in Wilmington we should we should take him, and I wish we had talked to him about it when we chatted with him tonight. I think that you're talking about Peter. I am talking about Peter. Uh, so for those of you who don't know him, Peter Johnson grew up with us. We went to high school together. I've known him for uh, probably about 15 years now, which is crazy to think about that we've been friends for so long. But Peter is a, is a charter school Bloomington graduate. He went to Brown University to do his undergraduate degree in Egyptology, then moved to Chicago, worked for a few different uh, nonprofit organizations, and then landed at the Center on Halstead. And he's been there for, I think, almost five years at this point in a couple of different roles. And we were so fortunate to be able to have a chat with him tonight and to be able to share his journey from Delaware through this nonprofit world with you. <laughs> Hi, Peter. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hello. Hi, Emily. Hi, Dara. So once again, I think we're talking to someone that Emily met first. So do you want to tell us, Emily, how you and Peter met and became friends? Yeah, I think this story is a little less charming because I don't really remember a moment (laughs) or a specific instance. But Peter and I met in middle school. You know, I had moved in between elementary school and middle school. And between sixth and seventh grades, I started swimming at North Star Pool. And Peter was also a member and swam there. And that began our six-year-long swimming journey together. Yeah, I remember, I remember that as well. And it was, you, did you join North Star? Was that your first year that I met you? It must have been. Because I do remember, yeah, middle school. And I, it might have been a year or two before we started at Charter together. Yeah, it would have been two years before Charter, entering seventh grade. So we were all... Okay. Swimming as 12 and unders, I think. Oh, wow. Okay. That's crazy to think that we've known each other since we were 12. Well, I also just have um, fond memories of just going back to your place after, like, morning swim practice. Yeah, definitely in high school before we could drive. <laughs> you know, there wasn't a lot to do in the summer necessarily. So, yeah, we would we would go back to my house and make smoothies for breakfast and hang out. Watched House Hunters. Oh, House Hunters. House Hunters. Actually, the OC. I think that's what we really watched. Oh, the OC. Yeah, that's what I do remember that. Oh, God. I do remember your love of house hunting together. Yes, we've been known to go to open houses together. (laughs) (laughs) And concoct uh, elaborate identities. And then um, we all went to the same high school together, so that's when Peter and Dara met at some point. Yeah, I guess I I just met Peter through you, Emily. Correct, yeah, probably. Yeah, probably I'm sure. Yeah, um, over the years, we all cross paths quite a bit. Um, so as adorable as this is to think about middle school Emily and Peter, um, what we're really interested in hearing about is what Peter is up to now. So tell us where you are and what you're doing. Sure, yeah. So I am in Chicago, Illinois. Um, after high school graduation to college in Rhode Island and then uh, made the trek to Chicago um, and have been working in the nonprofit space for the past uh, five years. And for the bulk of that time, I've been working for an organization called Center on Halstead, which is um, the Midwest's largest um, LGBTQ community center um, and probably the nation's third largest. Um, and so I've worked in a, def- a couple different capacities there. Um, I started as the director of public relations and communications. Um, and then about two years ago, I made the jump to um, uh, development officer um, who is in charge for the uh, corporate and institutional giving portfolio for the center. So um, it's been a really impactful um, experience for me, especially as someone who identifies as a member of the community. And, um, you know, even just thinking about these past four or five years and the kind of um, changes in, in LGBTQ rights, it's been such an impactful time. And during my tenure at this organization, I saw Everything from you know marriage and quality, marriage equality in the state of Illinois to 
um, it becoming national to things like the Pulse Massacre, um, to, to many other milestones. So it's certainly been a really exciting time to kind of be working in that space. And I think you were just um, named a 30 under 30 in the Windy City. I was, yeah. That was really exciting. Um, it's a publication uh, which really honors um, the work of advocates and activists starting at a young age. And so um, certainly a lot of people I work with have been recognized. And so it was um, really meaningful for me to be recognized, especially because I consider my work to be sometimes behind the scenes. And I'm, I'm not really going to be the person, you know, starting the protest or, you know, on the front lines with, um, you know, with a sign. But I think that the work I do is just as important, such as, you know, raising funds, raising awareness. And I think that in any coalition, you need um, a diversity of skill sets to really make an impact. And so um, I was really honored to you know, be recognized as someone who does some of that work behind the scenes and therefore maybe isn't as public facing or, um, yeah. What do you think pointed you on this path? Was it like an interest in art, nonprofits, activism? Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question because I... Um, uh, I don't think I would have, you know, ever thought I'd be working in this space. You know, it's it's a mixture of the advocacy and activism, but then the organization also does a lot of really important social service work and then, you know, has some cultural programming sprinkled in. Um, you know, I do have a really strong affinity towards museums and, and cultural institutions. And um, as you both probably remember, you know, I spent many of my summers at, in, in college, you know, working at museums around the country, such as the Cleveland Museum and the RISD Museum and you know, when I moved first here to Chicago, I was working at the Art Institute of Chicago. So, um, you know, I'd say my, my current um, role and path was kind of just a product of networking and, and meeting meeting kind of different people and um, being approached to, to take a job in this industry. And I think what's been so impactful for me is, you know, I started working at this, this organization when I was 22 and, you know, I came out at 18, 19. And so I was, you know, relatively young and coming to terms with my identity. And it, you know, it was almost like a form of, of therapy to me, a, a place where I really came into my own as a gay man, but then also um, honed my skills as a, a nonprofit professional, again, learning really important things about how they operate, uh, the governance and, you know, how to, you know, raise funds and, and keep them afloat. So um, it's been a really kind of impactful journey for me as it's been one of both, I think, personal development, but then also professional development. So, Peter, I know, obviously, you've moved out of the arts world, at least for now. Do you envision ever getting back to that? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think that's um, one of my long-term goals is to move back into that space. I mean, there are many different ways you can do it. You know, you can go back to school and, um, you know, study um, kind of more of the um, history and academic uh, side of, of cultural institutions and, and go that route, or you can move more into the administrative space. So um, that's certainly something that I'm kind of still navigating, you know, how I want to be there. But um, what I've really enjoyed about the work I'm doing now is that it is so diverse. You know, as I mentioned, I'm in so many different kind of pots, if you will, that I really feel that the, the skills I have learned now will kind of put me on a path to be, to be in that space in a few years. I was really impressed with the list of uh, organizations that you just mentioned and the places you got to intern. But I, I do think I'm going to call you out. You skipped one that might be of particular interest to our readers. Oh, my gosh, I did. I our did listeners. How, so, yes, um, the summer after my freshman year of college, I uh, interned at the Delaware Museum of Natural History. And it was actually the first, uh, it was my first internship. Um, and it was such a, a really eye-opening and great experience. Um, to work, again, yeah, in a local cultural institution. And, um, you know, for me, I, I was obviously interested in museology and, and so forth. And so I often knew that to be, you know, art museums or historical societies. But, um, you know, natural history was something totally kind of foreign to me. And so I really learned about, you know, how they dovetail with, with art museums, such as, you know, collecting practices versus how they differ with uh, the scientific approach of what they do. And so... Um, it was a really, really fun summer. Um, I definitely kind of felt like a, a crazy lab scientist in, in the you know, upstairs space of, of the museum, kind of with no windows and the collections surrounded by, you know, thousands and thousands of taxidermy animals. Right. I remember you were involved in the taxidermy of the birds. Is that right? Correct. Yes. Yeah, so 
Yeah, the, the, the museum is really well known for its two departments, um, collection departments, and one is uh, mollusks and the other is um, birds. Yeah, so I was an intern in the birds department. And so, you know, I, I learned how to taxidermy a bird and, and create like a, it's called a study skin uh, of a bird that is then put in a collection. Um, but then I also worked um, in their, um, for back of, lack of a better word, like pickled collections, if that makes sense. It's kind of like a, a, a specimen preserved almost in like a formaldehyde. Right, um, right. And so I had to, to like work in a lab hood, take the birds out of these jars of, of liquid, um, and then like take off their old tags and put on their new tags. And I remember remember many, many hours doing that in the lab, which was, uh, again, I mean, really important work, can be tedious at times, but I think it um, really underscores, you know, some of the importance that goes into maintaining these collections that probably most people take for granted is that there's a lot of um, small, minute details that go into maintaining these for the public. I know that you don't get back to Delaware too often, but can you think of any um, exhibits or anything happening around Delaware that you would want to see or you would recommend um, people check out? Yeah, I mean, I'd have to look more closely into what's showing. You know, I really do love the Delaware Art Museum. I think it's such a, a beautiful space um, within Wilmington. I also really love Winterthur, so, um, you know, getting out there and just seeing um, you know, that DuPont Estate and, and uh, um, associated collections with it. Um, those are two of the institutions I always try to check out. Um, certainly, um, you know, the University of Delaware has, you know, amazing resources, and they're, they're quite well known for their museum studies programs. So um, I, uh, you know, I haven't really spent much time over there at any of their, their museums, but I definitely think if I were to come back to Delaware, I'd want to go there and, um, you know, look more into the resources they have to offer. Is there anything, it doesn't have to be too, too cultural, it can just be for fun. Is there anything that when you come back to Delaware, you, like, have to do? Like, what is, like, your signature <laughs> DE? Um, definitely um, Woodside Farms Creamery. Um, <laughs> we we wondered if you were going to mention that. That's what our last Delaware in the Wild said, too. <laughs> really? Yes. Um, and especially because, you know, it's so close, and... Um, I think Avi and you would both appreciate this. So my my partner Roger uh, just got a new job, and um, he's an architect. And so I was looking at some of the, the works that his firm has done, and um, his firm did Hocassin Library. Oh wow! So it was so funny because I was like looking through, and I was like, oh wow, you know that you know like your new job, like the firm designed they designed actually Hocassin Library, Kirkwood Library, and Brandywine Library. Right, so like, you know right. That your, your friend, designed all the libraries close to us. Anyway, that was kind of an aside, but, um, you know, growing up in, in like, Newark, Hocaston, right in that area, I think Woodside Farms is definitely, definitely a favorite. Um, and um, I just, again, have so many memories of summer nights, you know, going there um, to get ice cream. What flavor? Oh, gosh. I mean, they had such unique flavors. Um, I feel like I was always a fan of, um, like, a cherry vanilla if they, I don't know what the name of it would be, but it would like has like bits of like cherry in it, like real cherries with like vanilla flavor. I think it's cherry vanilla. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll try to send you some, although I don't think that's actually possible. I don't. I don't know that we can send it. But next time you're here, let us know and we'll join you. And then where you are, or even um, like nationally, since you are kind of so involved and aware um, with just everything that's going on, is there anything that you would suggest um, our listeners kind of get linked up to or, you know, if they're listening to what you're saying and it's spurring them to do something, what would you encourage them or direct them toward? Um, I think um, it's really about finding um, a cause or passion that you connect with. Um, At the end of the day, you know, it's volunteerism. And so you're giving your time, your resources, and so... I think you need to choose something that you'll you are um, individually fulfilled with, and then I'll also like really stress the importance of um, knowing that volunteering can look many different ways, and again, it should align with maybe skill sets that either one you're trying to develop or two you have that you want to give back to. So, you know, volunteering or getting involved isn't always about making phone calls or knocking on doors. It could be. You know, helping a really small organization like do their taxes if you're like a tax accountant or, um, you know, doing their um, computer work if you, you know, fix computers. So um, definitely think about like, you know, what skill sets you have to offer to bring to the table 
and um, try to align with uh, with an organization whose mission really impacts you. So, um, you know, I definitely think with our, our current political climate, um, any way that you can, you know, uh, impact change and, and feel like you're, you're making uh, a difference for the better is, is really important. I think that's great because I know that Emily and I are often talking about what we should do in volunteering wise. And I think that often you do forget about all the skills or all the ways that you could help someone or something. A lot of my work in corporate fundraising is aligning, you know, the interests of companies with the interests of our organization. And so, you know, for some companies that is, you know, outright philanthropy, which is great. Um, but for others, um, it's about, um, you know, maybe giving product that they have that they can give to us. Or, you know, I work with a number of consulting firms who are able to provide us consulting services for free and help us, um, you know, work through our strategic plan or um, get impact numbers for a grant that we need to submit. So um, it's really about thinking creatively about, you know, where people can um, help you um, kind of pay for things that maybe are already in your budget or, um, you know, give you services that you otherwise would have had to pay for. Right. And I love your idea of finding something that aligns with your values or finding something that aligns with your interests or skill set. I think that that's such a unique way of looking at volunteering and charity work. Um, and, and I think it's just great advice for everyone. Uh, well, I think, and another thing that we often talk about on the podcast is just how you can kind of like get off the couch and do something. So locally, what do you do to like, if you're looking for something to do on like a Friday, a Saturday, or even a Tuesday, what do you like, what do you do for fun? Yeah, I mean, I, um, one, I'm really fortunate, obviously, to be in Chicago, and it's, you know, the third largest city in America. So it's, there's always something going on. I mean, but even I think in any space where you are, because I, I will certainly say this about Chicago, sometimes you're like at home and you're like, oh, there's nothing to do, right? So you certainly have to, um, you know, get up and, and you know, connect with people and, uh, again, align your interests. Um, I often try to um, support really kind of small grassroots organizations. You know, I work for what's probably now considered a mid-sized nonprofit, you know, almost 100 employees. So, you know, we certainly were grassroots at one time, but we're now certainly more in the, like, quote-unquote, uh, landscape or, or system of, of the work we do. But there are a lot of really great people who are doing small, interesting, creative work on a, on a really grassroots scale. And I often find that those folks um, have so much flexibility in the type of work they do, but then they also really are so creative in the way that they fundraise or... Um, in the way that they get the word out about their their mission or their events. And so I, as much as I can, try to go to those events. They tend to be, you know, like lower cost, too, um, because they are smaller organizations. So, you know, even if it's just like a, a beer tasting or, you know, a drag show or, you know, a club night where a portion of the proceeds go back to support a certain cause, you know, um, I can find that those are really invigorating spaces for me. And I often meet some of, you know, um, of my best friends here in Chicago I've met in those spaces and are doing that type of work. So um, it's not always about, you know, going to the biggest institution that has the best name. I think often, and I've certainly been um, been caught up in this before, you know, you're like, oh, I want to go to the, you know, this huge museum and see how I can make a difference. And you certainly can in those spaces, but um, often um, I think just the creative energy and the um, impact you can have on smaller institutions tends to be, tends to be uh, bigger and almost uh, more impactful. What great advice to give our listeners in the small wonder, the diamond state, the diamond state. Yeah. I mean, I, um, I'm really excited the next time I come back, I will likely be later this summer in, in August. And, um, my brother and his wife are expecting a child. So I'll certainly be back, um, in probably November when it's due. So, um, I'm excited to, to spend more time there and, um, we'll see how the state has changed. I mean, do you think, uh, do you think there's been any major changes in the state since, since I left about, Wow, it's probably almost 10 years ago. I sometimes the things that I find most shocking when I like when I go away for a long time and then I come back um, was like when I was pumping gas and I looked across the street and the place where I usually like get my margaritas is gone. That was shocking to me. Hmm. Santa Fe. Santa Fe is gone. Yeah, I think I think the things you'll be most shocked by are the small changes, businesses that have opened, businesses that have closed. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's just all of those small things that when you're here every day, you don't even realize 
how gradually they build. I think that would be it. Yeah, but I, I think that you'll definitely go places in Wilmington and Newark and you'll just look around and you'll be like, wow, that is a building there that was not there before. There's a lot. There's a lot of construction across the state. I will say when I do go back, that is one thing I'm, I'm definitely um, kind of shocked by is the amount of development. I mean, you know, I remember my parents telling me about when they first moved to Hokessin and, you know, it was, there wasn't much there. You know, there weren't many developments at the time. It was in the mid-80s and mid-late 80s. And, you know, just to, I think, have seen and experienced that boom over, you know, my, you know, 18 years living in Hokessin and then, you know, come back and see that it's still growing and there's still more developments coming in is, is definitely kind of jarring to me. You might be, I think the one place you might be surprised by is the riverfront. Because I think that's the place where, like, growing up around here, you've heard about, like, how the riverfront is going to be happening for such a long time. And I think there was even recently an article um, in the news journal this past spring or summer where it was like, hey, like, all that construction and promise that you always thought was coming to the riverfront, like, it might actually be here. So we'll have to um, we'll have to take you out for a drink at Constitution Yards and then get some Woodside ice cream. Sounds oh, good ooh. to me. I'm excited. Well, Peter, I just want to thank you so much for joining us and chatting with us about your journey from Delaware to Chicago, being named a 30 under 30, and all of the great nonprofit work you've been involved in. Well, thank you both. I really appreciate it. <laughs> So talking with Peter really inspired me to work on our summer bucket list, not only because he reminded me that August is fastly approaching, um, but also because of his little story about the Delaware Natural History Museum. And I know that that is on your passport. It is on my passport. And I have to admit, I have not punched my passport at all. At all? At all. I know, but D, there have been so many things. It it doesn't seem like it should be hard to fit it in, but when it's always, oh, but we can do that next weekend, you know, it, it can be tough to fit it in. I understand. There are a couple things that are always in the back of my head is like, I should do that, but then it sort of takes a moment of inspiration to strike. Uh, like this past weekend, um, I was driving around, um, sort of, I was planning on taking a walk, um, and I remember that I've been meaning to go hit up Mount Cuba. I haven't been there since the Wildflower um, Festival a couple years ago. Um, and so I ended up there. And it was I, just to walk around. It was $10 for adults. Um, it was a really quiet day there. Really beautiful. Um, and I think it's definitely something that I forget about going to. Because I'm, oh, I'm usually... It's definitely a hidden around. gem. Yeah. I think it's not even... Mount Cuba, for some of us, we pass regularly. I know it's on my drive when I go to and from my parents' house. Mm -hmm. But for a lot of people, it's it's really out of their way um, and not something that they pass on a regular basis, unlike maybe Winterthur or Hagley mm -hmm. or even Nemours. I pass, oh, I pass all three of those really regularly. So I think you're right. I think, um, you know, we have so many hidden gems. It's great to take advantage of them. And I promise I'm gonna hit my four I need to hit four before the summer's up and I I'm hoping I can I can even get more than that mm -hmm. so but I think we should feel pretty accomplished because um, I know we started off the summer strong we attended or collectively we attended the Greek Italian we didn't we missed Polish didn't we Polish hasn't happened yet hasn't happened yet Polish actually doesn't happen right around the same time I believe it's more like September time frame okay so we might even be able to hit hit that one as well and we are playing a little bit fast and loose with the definition of summer although we are I think I think we're extending summer through the end of September I think you know pumpkin spice latte season does not hit until October 1st and I think that that's fair I think that's fair too um speaking of food uh, one of the items you just picked up, hit off on the list, um, you enjoyed, if we can, we can say enjoyed maybe, you'll let us know, uh, a Delaware Destroyer hot dog at Johnny's. You know, uh, I think I conquered it. I think that's the best description of, of what happened that night. So, um, I will warn you, I wore a white shirt. It has hot <laughs> sauce on it. I wore the cutest little gingham flats, hot sauce. It, it was really, it was, a, it was a tough night on my wardrobe. And this is two hot dogs on a hoagie bun with chili mac and cheese 
hot sauce. And fried onions. And fried onions. Um, yeah, so, you know, I, 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 overall it was pretty good. I think it was a little more hot sauce than I would like, a little less chili than I would like. But I love chili. I think most people know that about me, that I feel this innate need to always have like an entire pot of chili mm-hmm. stored in my freezer. So uh, overall, it was pretty good. It definitely is going to clog your arteries, and I don't think you should have one every night. But, you know, the occasional Delaware Destroyer can, can be good. And then I don't know if this would um, maybe cool your heartburn or add to it, but talking about ice cream, you've been to Dairy Palace. I know I've been to Rita's, and I've had Woodside, although I haven't actually physically been to Woodside. I've been to Woodside. I've eaten Woodside. I have been to Dairy Palace a couple of times. I went and had milkshake after the uh, mud run I did back in June. And then this past weekend, I took a little day trip down to Sussex County, which was great. And one of the places I stopped was Hopkins Farm Creamery. Um, And, you know, it was delicious. I I have to say, I think they rival Woodside. I think that for those who are down down downstate, this is their Woodside. Wow. But no cow petting. No cow petting. Um, it was pretty rainy on Saturday for those of you who were in the area. And the cows were all undercover. And without climbing several fences and probably getting into trouble for trespassing, I, I couldn't reach the cows. So I still need to make a woodside trip where I get a chance to pet the cows. And then there's still a couple other food things on the list for us. Um, Thrasher's Fries, yet to do that. Thrasher's Fries and the Fractured Prune Donuts. So um, I actually am planning to take off of work next week one day and have a beach day. I might have more more than just the one day at the beach. I'm not sure yet. It'll depend on the weather, sort of what's going on at work, that kind of thing. But I'm going to get those two done. I think they're good Rehoboth, like beach day type activities, and we'll make it happen. I think when we were at the Blue Rocks, which is an item on the bucket list that we crossed off, um, I remember one of your coworkers was like, Emily, why aren't you at the beach? Why, why aren't you hanging out at your house at the beach? And you were like, I don't have a house at the I beach. I don't have a house at the beach. My parents don't have a house at the beach. Dara's parents don't have a house at the beach. And uh, to be honest, there are so many great things to do that aren't at the beach, both in Newcastle County and in Sussex County. I got to check off uh, one other thing on the bucket list while I was down there this weekend. I, I went to a winery. So I hit up Nassau Valley Vineyards, and they had some good wines. Um, They definitely had something for everybody. They had some fruit wines, some sweeter, some drier. That was great. And and they also have all kinds of, I guess I, I should say exhibiting. So they have sort of an exhibit on site about sort of the history of wine and and that kind of thing. And so it's definitely an interesting uh, thing to do on a lazy Saturday or when it's raining. So something that that reminds me of, um, I one of the things I've checked off on the list is um, seeing a fountain show at Longwood Gardens. And actually this past weekend I did fountains and fireworks, uh, which I know is on the list. And it was, really, it was rainy. They didn't cancel even though it rained. So we were there in our rain gear, um, but it was still beautiful. And one of the things that I noticed as I was looking up information about like what was on, how to see it in the rain, was that I noticed one of the nearby um, vineyards, the name escapes me right now, so we'll have to link back to it, Um, but they'll open late during the fireworks show at Longwood. So even if you don't go to Longwood, you can... Gaylor Estate? I think that's it. Gaylor Estate is located directly behind Longwood. Um, So so I think that would be the one. But I thought that was interesting that, like, you know, maybe you're at Longwood, maybe you're not, but the fireworks are there and you can see them. Agreed. You know, I think it's so great how many of our local businesses sort of support each other and take Mm -hmm. advantage of each other. And and that's one example. Um, When there are concerts at the Queen or at the Grand, a number of the restaurants will give you sort of 10% off your bill if you bring your ticket stub or your program. And that encourages you to take advantage of the shows because you'll get the discount when you go out for drinks after or to go out for drinks after because you'll get the discount. And so Mm -hmm. um, I think it's so nice when they do things like that. I would really encourage you to actually check out the Longwood Gardens show. Um, I also was there another weekend and um, I saw a concert in one of their fields. It was it was a visiting band and it was a little confusing for me because the band was called Parsons Field, but we were in the Apple Orchard. 
Oh, that would be confusing. So for a while I was like, I was looking for signs to go to Parsons Field. Ah, yes. Um, But it was really beautiful. They had a song that referred to a country pocket and they made a joke about actually being in a country pocket. Yeah. Um, So I know on our list is seeing an outdoor concert. So I feel like that sort of counts, but no, I I think that counts, Dee. I think that counts. All right, I'll take it. So, yeah, we've done a lot. Uh, We both have cooled off in some museums. This weekend, I went to the Lewis Historical Society, and I got to hold the pewter tankards. He said I could touch as many of them as I wanted, which was very exciting. You know, a museum speak, that doesn't happen very often. It does not. Dee, you've you've done at least one art museum. I've done actually a couple museums lately. This past month, I've been working on a couple freelance articles for the News Journal, um, there's some really exciting contemporary art exhibits up now at both um, the Delaware Art Museum and the Brandywine River Museum. Um, at the Delaware Art Museum, it relates to Wilmington 1968, um, which if anyone, this was something that I think a lot of younger people in Wilmington you may not know about, um, but the National Guard occupied Wilmington in 1968 for nine months um, following riots um, community reaction um to the death of martin luther king um and it's a really exciting exhibit um featuring work from hank um Wilkes thomas uh who is a nationally recognized artist and has done a wide range of works um locally you might know him as the person who did the sculpture of um the hair pick that's uh it's by love park in philadelphia mm-hmm. um but this, he's, this is 2D work um, involving archival materials, and you have to like literally shine a light on the work to see all the features of it. So, so a little bit of an interactive exhibit. And we love that. We love when yes. you get to really feel like you're a part of the experience. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's engaging in more ways than one and also reveals some hidden histories. Um, and then, of course, the show that we saw together at the Brandywine, um, which is all about the sublime in nature and I think it's it's really I love any kind of exhibit that invites you in and invites you to become part of the story and I think in a lot of these works there's one work I know that they made an exception for but you'll notice that there aren't any animals any critters any people in the works and that's because you are the person oh very interesting and it's something I I didn't pick up on but I think that you have a little more of an artist's eye and an artist's understanding than I do. Um, but that's not to say that those of us who aren't as in touch with our artistic sides can't be in touch with our creative sides. Absolutely not. And so one of the things I love about the Brandywine River Museum is that they do these events called Creative Escapes. And so uh, we've done one together, I've done one on my own, and, and we did another one this month, um, just last week in fact. Um, that was painted silk pillowcases. And so I, I know um, I know our last DIY class was something that I, I enjoyed and I could see myself doing again, but in a very limited capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really felt like this one was so much more something that I could see myself inviting girlfriends over to do on a Saturday mm-hmm. afternoon and creating our own scarves or just, just sort of doing different things. And, and Dee, what do, you, what do you think? It was, so it was silk painting and it was very different than what I thought it would be. I don't, I think for some reason in my head, I was confusing it with like silk dyeing. Um, but I was surprised that I was literally like dropping dots of paint on the fabric and they were sort of expanding and, and filling up the cloth. It was, it was neat. I, I did, I learned a lot of new things. Yeah. I mean, I learned a new technique. I, I, I always enjoy sort of learning a new medium. I know, and, and this is similar to uh, my athleticism or lack thereof. When I throw a ball, I have in my head exactly where it's going to go and how hard it needs to be thrown. And scientifically, I see how all of this is going to happen. But somehow my arm cannot make the ball do what I know needs to happen. And I find that to be the same way when I draw something or paint something that in theory, I know how the line should look, but, but somehow I can't quite get the pressure right. I can't angle it correctly. I, you know, I don't know. And, and, I, and yeah. I felt like this was a little more foolproof. 
um, in some ways. Yeah. But maybe it's just that it was more abstract. I think, I think that is a great analogy, but I think that you also created something really great and we had some people stop by and compliment you. So we, we did have, we had two art teachers at our table. We had two art teachers at our table, but I think overwhelmingly nobody took a vote, but if they had voted based on the number of times people came over to our table and said this, we had the best table with the best products. I was surprised walking around that um, we both used some stamps and we used some, we, we did some abstract work and also like some pattern work. Um, mm -hmm. But then I was really surprised and impressed with some of the directions that some of the other people in the class took it. There was one woman who um, she painted like a series of little houses. Yes, we had we had a number of people who I think did something that had a little more meaning. Mm -hmm. Mine was really just, oh, this would be a lovely pillowcase to put in my guest room. It matches the quilt that my grandmother made for me. So shout out to you, Grandma Ellie, again. Um, but other people did. They had some things that had more meaning. We really did have some real artists mm -hmm. who um, drew some intricate designs. Um, mm -hmm. and, and people who went a little more minimalist than us mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, so I think... I'm not sure if we have the date yet, but they did tell us that the next creative escape would be um, doing alcohol inks on clay tiles. Yes. Which is another example of art that is different and fun and special, but still could fit in your home as opposed to just being another painting that looks exactly like all the other paintings in the SIP class that you hang in your bathroom. Not that I have one hanging in my bathroom. I do think you? I do. Upstairs. Oh, I haven't been upstairs, upstairs. So, But you only have so much bathroom space. I only have so much bathroom space. My bathrooms are very small. So, But I, I do. I love taking these DIY classes that sort of give you the opportunity to express yourself and, and create something you love. And, you know, not everyone loves pink and purple, but I love pink and purple, and so I created a pillowcase that I love. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I just think that's so great. And we've had some experience with alcohol inks making Christmas ornaments, but we haven't done alcohol inks in any other medium. So I think this may be something we'll check out. And we definitely encourage you guys to look into it. Um, you know, it's a great museum. They, whenever they do these creative escapes, they open up um, about a half hour before the class begins so that you can sort of tour the current exhibit and get some inspiration mm -hmm. for your project. And I think that's just a great way of immersing yourself in the art and getting a chance to experience it. So on top of that, we have hit a few of our other items on the list, but you know, guys, we have a lot left as well. Um, Dara talked about Thrasher's fries and, and I said, you know, we also have to hit up the fractured prune on our trip to the beach. But one of the other things that I am really looking forward to, and we're actually going to it this week, is Much Ado About Nothing with the Delaware Shakespeare Festival. Yes. And I'm really excited for this show because I've been getting their um, newsletter communications. And so it's Much Ado About Nothing and there is a role of um, the priest or the friar. I'm I'm messing There's up a clergyman. There's a clergyman. There's some clergyman. There's a man of the cloth. Yes. But in some performances, it'll be a woman of the cloth. Um, so what they're doing is they've involved a number of local religious leaders and on alternating nights, um, these real pe people, um, leaders of the faith, will be, will be taking on the role. Um, and I just think that's such an interesting way to connect with the community and add another layer um, to the story. And one of the stories that Delaware Shakespeare mentioned was that some of the leaders are showing up on nights when it's not even their night to rehearse. Uh, and I think that's so great that, I, like, you can be a part of theater and you can understand how theater artists work and you can involve anybody. Well, and I love that it's just one more way to sort of reach the community and, and reach another audience. And so I love that, you know, I envision local church members who are attending on a specific night mm -hmm. so that they can sort of see their their pastors mm -hmm. chance that they're 15 minutes of Shakespearean fame you know um and I and I think because the Delaware Shakespeare Festival provides that sort of outdoor picnic summer 
atmosphere. It's great for families. I think it's a great way to introduce children to Shakespeare and get them to experience it. And I love that more people maybe will know about the event and, and attend because they've sort of reached out a little more to the community in this way. But you're not supposed to call it community outreach. I don't have the exact phrasing, but I know that I was, I was reading an article in Delaware today. Well, I understand community outreach is sort of a different uh, connotation, mm -hmm. but um, involvement, you know, our mission is to create a community of participation and engagement. And I think that they're creating a community of participation and engagement. Yeah. So we love that. Um, we're so happy you guys could go join us to talk all about, uh, you know, our summer bucket list, hear a little bit from Peter Johnson about his journey from the first state to the nonprofit sector and just everything else we've got going on. And we're looking forward to talking to you guys next time. Thanks for listening to the Della Darling podcast. If you want to follow us on social media, we are at Della Darling pod on Instagram and Twitter and the Della Darling on Facebook.